Gonzalo, it's really, really nice to see you, and I'm, I'm so excited to get to talk to you. This is really special for me. So it's thank a pleasure, you. Man. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks a lot. You know, always when I think of you, there's so many things that I, I admire. Um, but I want to talk first with you about sound and touch. Mm -hmm. That's something that I, you know, you have a incredible touch on the on the instrument, and you get a sound of of the instrument that is so unique and so special and so big, and so layered. Um, I'm interested in what you did to um, get closer to what your idea of sound is in your head, how you worked on it. Well, this is probably one of the most difficult question to answer because um, I believe that um, there's nothing related to a, a theoric um, or, or a rule, I mean, that we can say, okay, um, the reason why I'm sounding this way is because I played this way, mm. uh, technically speaking. Mm. Uh, well, I went to the classical school in Cuba. And uh, as you must know, the classical school, they uh, invest a lot of time trying to make the students uh, uh, know how to uh, put the hands and the keyboard, the different kind of uh, attack or the relationship with the, the tip, with the action, how to produce some kind of different action. I mean, sound on the piano, Mm -hmm. that we know as a legato, portato, staccato, things like that. The thing is that everybody learned more or less the same. We have the same people behind that guide us and say, you should do that when it's staccato, it's like that, when it's legato, it's like this. But at the end, everybody sounds different, even mm -hmm. playing the same legato, the same staccato, the same portato. So <clears throat> I believe there's something spiritual. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, is is uh, something that comes from inside. Uh, it's a need. I had the need. I had that. I need to sound in some way, mm -hmm. and and I try to transmit from my inside what I want to to the instrument. But we were talking about that with some uh, friends a few days ago some of them musician and one of them said i can understand that a flute player or a trumpet player a trombone player a saxophone player even a guitar player can manipulate the sound in a way that we can recognize that he is manipulating the sound uh, i don't know in the way you uh, produce the emission of the sound with your lips mm -hmm. and um and also the guitar, when you put your your, your fingers in the, in the, in the, uh, over the, the strings, uh, you can manipulate the strings. I, I don't know. They said, what about the piano? Because it, it's totally a different experience. How um, that experience that you see a different pianist playing in the same piano, all of them sound different. Yeah. And I always have that problem that... Um, I don't know how to really convince the people of, of, uh, with my explanation how to do it. Um, at the end, I think everybody sounds in the way 
they are, the way they, they feel, and, um, and the way they imagine the sound, mm -hmm. the way they think about the sound. <clears throat> um, because I believe that we had to think before we play. Mm -hmm. and, and this is an, is an action that, uh, uh, that happened in a very quick uh, fraction, in a fraction of, of, uh, of seconds, uh, the way we think and we play and we transmit the, 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 what we want is very quick, very fast. But I, definitely we had to think about what we want to say and how we want to deliver that, that speech. Um, but I think it's very personal. It's, very, it's an individual uh, uh, feeling, vision. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's probably one of the always the most difficult question to yeah, clarify. You know? <clears throat> yeah. Who, in terms of role models or people with sounds that you like, who are the people that you think about and that you look up to? Oh, look, there's two different experiences. Uh, listening to uh, a player through uh, 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 a machine, like a CD player or a computer or And then there's a different experience when you see them playing personally, or, or at least visually, you, you can see it. Um, and it's, this is always that always impressed me more than listening, just listening to somebody else. Uh, for example, I saw different videos, many videos from Horowitz playing the piano. Yeah. And he didn't look like he's doing anything extraordinary. Even when you see his hand playing, no matter what, Rachmaninoff or Beethoven or, or any of the impressionist composer. Sometimes I had the, it's like he's going to make, definitely he's about to do uh, a mistake at some moment, because uh, I don't know how to say that, but then, He delivered the most incredible uh, layers of sounds, and, and and he can express amazingly. Uh, uh, I don't know the, 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 those kind of feelings that, are, again, when you relate to him with the instrument, you see him playing. He's not the kind of person that you uh, his actions, his movement. Uh, will alert you or will tell you in advance what he's going to do, what he's going to deliver musically. Um, <clears throat> so I have a lot of classical players as reference because as I said before, this is what I'm coming from, a classical mm. school, but I also am coming from a family that um, I saw many piano players. Uh, my father, one of my brother was a piano player too. Mm. Um, and they were, they were definitely the first reference, music, music reference that I had in my life. When I was four or five years, I used to see a lot of jam and rehearsal at home. Mm. And I saw them playing and I tried later on to emulate what they, what, what the, the way they play the music, mm -hmm. especially Cuban music, um, which is, a it, it required of a 
different torch to to play the Cuban, the popular Cuban popular music, dancing music. Yeah, can you explain that? Well, you know, um, usually those bands, the Cuban band bands, uh, they play really loud, hmm. and um, and normally we have a section of trumpets, and trombones, and a lot of percussion, heavy percussion, congas, uh, timbas, and actually they add a drum set to uh, cowbells, everything. Um, four or five uh, voices, people singing around. Uh, uh, it could be also they could have uh, strings playing in the same band. Uh, <clears throat> so you have to find a way to uh, reach that kind of volume that not co competing with the rest of the band, but to be in there as part of the band, that, that the instrument has some rear space that the people can feel it can hear it. Um, <clears throat> and I saw that at home uh, without any amplification. There was no microphones or anything else. They're just natural. Um, and we we played that that we call tumbaos. Uh, a tumbao is, um, let's say, the piano was not always part of the Cuban bands at, at, at the end of the 19th century. Um, it was not usual to, to, to see a piano as an instrument, as part of the Cuban bands. Um, I'm talking about the, 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 the dancing, the Cuban band that made music to people to dance. Mm -hmm. They used to have guitars and different kind of guitars. Uh, then I think later on in, in the 20th century, beginning of the 20th century, they decide to insert, uh, the piano as part of those, uh, bands. Uh, and the piano tried to emulate the, the, the codes and the lines that the guitar player used to play before. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> so they try to do those lines where you hear octave and then you hear some single notes in the, in the in the middle and then again the octave yeah and we do like it pam pa pam pim pam tom pata pim pata pi pam pim pam poton those notes that i accent pam pim pam pim pam not the middle one those yeah. louder they played it with octave and then the rest is in the middle they are single notes um and you do that with both hands. Uh, that's the difference with the merengue and the way they play tumbaos in Dominican Republic. In Dominican Republic, they play kind of a chords in the left hand and then that typical lines that I already said in the right side, in the right hand. In the Cuban music, they play with both hands the same thing. Sometimes you can hear some different voices, but the rhythm, the rhythm design is the same for both hands. So, <clears throat> and I grew up listening to these kind of things and I tried to do that. Thank you for checking out the podcast. If you enjoy these conversations, please join me on patreon.com slash Pablo Held for more educational videos on various musical topics, early access to episodes, 
Lead Sheets, Online Hangouts, Listening Sessions, Music Recommendations, Bandcamp Discount and more behind-the-scenes stuff from the podcast. The generous support of my Patreons helps me to pay for the running costs of the podcast and it also helps me to keep it going into the future. Thank you so much and let's get back to the episode. In what way was that music passed down to you? Like through listening or no, no, no. also through reading? Or, yeah, just Live and by, by ear by because yeah. at, at that moment I, I couldn't read music yet. I went to the school when I was uh, eight or nine years old. That's when I start uh, at the conservatory. Right. But I, I played with my my father's band before when I was five years old, and um, and I follow them. I just follow what I, what I heard, and I try to to be part of that. And sometimes my father said, "You have to do that," and they used to sing that to me. Mm -hmm. um, but also we play some uh, music that were really popular on, on the radio on TV. So we already knew the music and everybody with, I mean, I don't think nobody would need uh, a music chart to do that, to yeah. play that. Um, so we have Cuban traditions, uh, roots first, and then we have classical school. And at some point, while I was getting the classical training, I discovered some jazz records at home. Which ones? Very old. I mean, Jimmy Dorsey, mm. <laughs> uh, Errol Garner. Yeah, which one? Uh, I can't remember right now. Which one. My father used to have that very old record in very bad shape because I, he had that in somewhere at home. But um, I remember also to have uh, some of the Dizzy Gillespie record good. Uh, a grooving heart, you know, mm -hmm. and um, who else? Um, Stan Canton, big, mm -hmm. uh, uh, <clears throat> Stan Canton, uh, um, I, don't, I, I think it was Charlie Parker, too. Mm -hmm. I remember to see one of them, uh, but at the same time, uh, there was a radio station, the only one in Cuba that had that jazz program every night from just half hour from 11 p.m. to 11.30 from Monday to uh, Friday. And I remember to uh, look for, uh, for uh, to hear that music, that, that the music they, they broadcast every night um, right there close to the radio. Um, and then there, I discovered a lot of stuff there. Not because, I mean, that was difficult in Cuba in the 60s and the 70s to find updated uh, music from America. Mm. You know, political reasons, course, reasons yeah. and, and all the situation between Cuba and United States. And uh, it was already, uh, it was also even, uh, uh, we were not allowed in the 60s to, to listen jazz music in Cuba. Mm. And and of course, if they if they catch you with uh, some albums with American music at home, or 
or you know, or listen to music some with some friends, some uh, in any place, and you can be in trouble. Uh, but at the end of the seventies, everything changed a little bit. They decided to do a festival, jazz festival in Havana. I believe that um, uh, they couldn't control or stop uh, the long tradition, the long relationship that Cuban musicians and audience in Cuba had with jazz music yeah. for decades. <clears throat> and also I believe they, they discovered that there was another, another option to smart decision to uh, bring a foreign people to the country and and giving it a better face, a better, a better you know, uh, look to the uh, revolution. And so there was a, lo- a lot of political meaning behind that. But there were some benefits. We were able to see live concerts that people like Dizzy Gillespie came to Cuba, um, Carmen Marais was singing in Cuba with, with Dizzy. Did you see the, weather report when they came over? And... I saw weather report. That was before. That was in the seventy-seven or seventy-six. Yeah. In Havana, uh, right? In Havana, yeah. I went to this theater where they played, which is a huge play. Uh, it has about three thousand seats, and I was, I think, in the last one up there. <laughs> and uh, I was a little kid. Um, <clears throat> yeah. At that. I'm sure not only for me, for, for the people that were able to see those shows uh, in Havana at that time, it changed totally uh, life of, of all of us. You know, uh, the, the the fact to see um, weather report, to see Tony Williams playing with Jacko. Right. Oh yeah, and, and John, McLaughlin. John McLaughlin. Yes, um, but also that there was also uh, All Star um, Salsa uh, Big Band with Ruben Blades and many people. And mm. that was a kind of um, encounter between American musicians and and, and, and the most prestigious uh, Cuban bands at that time. Ira Kere was there with Chucho Valdez, among others. So, <clears throat> and not only jazz, but they brought also some, uh, Billy Yours was, was there mm-hmm. too, Rita Coolish. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, that was definitely one of the most important uh, event in Cuba at that time. You only had to think about that from the 59 to the 70s, something end, um, end of the 70s, we were not able to see any live shows uh, coming from, not America, but any capitalist mm-hmm. uh, country. Um, so <clears throat> um, the reason why I went to uh, Oh, I, I had the the wish to to improvise and with the jazz vocabulary and all the stuff because I already improvised, but mostly in the Cuban style, in the Cuban music stuff. It was because I saw some of uh, my colleagues at uh, the school. I discovered some of them 
once uh, playing and jamming in one of the room. Uh, and um, they do that in secrets because uh, at the school you were not allowed to play popular music. That was a, a classical school and there were uh, nobody was allowed to play non-classical European music. Mm. Uh, but when I heard those guys playing what they were playing there, I was already in love with that. And, uh, and I want to do that. And I want to uh, reproduce that that I heard. And then I remember that to hear my father sometime talking about some of those names that I mentioned before. And that day I came back to home and I said, where are those records that you mentioned? I said, well, you can find them there in this place. And then I started looking for information, the information we could get at that time in Cuba. I had um, the advantage to travel outside of Cuba when I was really young. Uh, I was 17 years old when I traveled for the first time. Hmm. Uh, with, with a very popular singer, Cuban singer. And we went to South America, to Colombia. And um, coming back to Cuba, we stopped in Panama for two days. And then I saw some records, some cassettes, not even LP yeah. cassettes. And I brought some of them uh, back to Cuba. I think it was Chic Korea with Spanish girl in um and I think also Herbie Hanko, some, I don't remember which one, but it was Herbie Hanko record. Mm. Um, so I, I was able by myself to buy some music because I was able to travel outside of, yeah. of the country. Uh, and I also got some friends in Europe and, and they know the situation of the Cuban people and, and they used to give us uh, a lot of recordings. Um, <clears throat> so that was the, re the, the way that I, later by later, I start uh, updating my information of, hmm. of um, what was happening here with jazz music. Um, and then the rest is how to emulate that, how we can play this way. You know? um, after that, I went to the, what we call in Cuba the Institute Superior Superior Institute Institute of Music, uh, and I did composition there. Mm. I did a degree in composition. That was also a classical institution. Um, so you had to write like sonatas and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Yeah. So, but I, I haven't said that my the way I get into the music was through the drums and percussion, not the piano. The yeah. piano came a little bit after. Drum was the first instrument. My same with me, actually. That's the same, did. yeah. And um, I was about to be six years old, five, six years uh, My parents asked me what you want to for your birthday and said a drum set. And again, that I think it was a, a nightmare for them because it was difficult to find the mm -hmm. drums. Uh, but some uh, a friend of the family said, oh, I know a guy, 
somewhere that he used to, he builds drums. Well, we went there, and yeah, that was true. He built the drums the very rustic way, but um, but um, he did it, and that was he did. He built my first uh, drums when I so the day of my birthday. I I tried to play with my father and my brothers, and I did everything by ears. Mm-hmm. And when my mother decided to bring me to the school to uh, to see if I had a uh, if I passed the test to be part of the conservatory, my dream was to see myself uh, uh, learning, uh, I mean, be part of the percussion department. And it, it didn't happen in the mm. way that I thought. So I was eight years old. And they said that um, uh, the age to be part of the percussion department was at uh, 10 years old because because of physical uh, mm-hmm. condition. So they've offered me piano or violin. In my house, that there was always a piano. My, uh, the middle one of my brother was a piano player. He was a classical piano player too. And, um, and I saw him hours and hours practicing, my father too, but I never had the most any intention to be close up to the piano. And actually, when I saw my, my brother playing the piano and my father reading the piano chart, it looked to me something extremely difficult. So, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, I, and I was afraid of that. I said, no, no, no. Yeah. I had nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. So when the situation in school uh, that I had that no percussion possible until the 10 years old and they offered me piano and percussion. It was my mother, the one that convinced me to choose the piano. Like how, what, what was her? Well, she said, um, look, um, piano is probably the most complete instrument. And, um, it doesn't matter if in the in the future you decide to become a piano player or not. If you get some piano lessons or you can have some knowledge about how to work with the piano, uh, you will be very benefit of that because in the future you we have uh, that's a tool to compose, yeah. to understand harmony, to this and this and this and this. And now I was not totally convinced of that, but I did it because her, we had always a very deep and beautiful relationship. And I want want her to be happy. And I said, okay, I will do it. I will do it because you, you are asking me to do it. And that was the beginning of my relationship with the piano. Uh, The first year was a little bit difficult to me uh, but then uh, they switched me to a different teacher. There was a woman, um, Teresa Valiente. And she what was, was she uh, like? Um, she was uh, a brunette woman, young woman, that she was already coming back from Russia. I mean, she was coming, she was uh, studying in Russia. No, I don't think she was studying in Russia. Many of the uh, the people at the conservatories that uh, became uh, 
teachers and professors at that time, all of them were training in, in the Union Soviets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think she was part of that group. Uh, her name was Teresita Valiente. She was an amazing piano player, mm-hmm. an amazing. But more than that, she has that talent to transmit knowledge, to train people, to guide people, especially little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something, it was a talent on her, you know. Yeah, not many people have that. Exactly, exactly. It's it's rare. And she, I was in love with her already. And she tapped me into the instrument. And and I already got uh, that witch to show my family, my mother, even to her, to my teacher, that I could do what she required from me. Um... So that was the beginning. That was the beginning. Actually, two years after, the the people that, uh, uh, I mean, how to say, the president of the conservatory, or the mm-hmm. director, the director, they called me back and said, okay, you are already in the age to be part of the percussion department, so it's your decision. Yeah, you are, this is your option. And I was in, t- in tremendous trouble because I said, well, I didn't know what to say or what to do. So at the end, they gave me the possibility to have both things. So I went to the, the percussion department, but I never left the, the piano. So I tried to do both at the same time. Um, and I actually played with some uh, bands from the school and I, I put together my first band when I was already, I still was at the school and I, was, I wasn't play, playing the piano, I was playing the drums. Uh, but there was a lot of contradictions. Uh, three or four years later, technically contradiction uh, about the, the, how to play the piano, how to use the hands, the arms and everything, and then the drums. Um, and I, I had to take a decision about it. It was so, hard to get both things in line, or to yeah, find a common ground. Yeah, or at mm-hmm. least, at least, if you if you want to have a top uh, control or technical control of both instruments, you will see some uh, problems with that. Um, um, I also was was able to play with a lot of professional musicians, even when I was a student. Because my house was a place where um, many of the greats, uh, you know, the greatest musicians uh, coming from popular music, you know, very people were not in Cuba. Even many of them uh, Changed the way to play the Cuban music, uh, percussionists, mm-hmm. uh, composers, singers, uh, bass players, piano players too. They used to come by just to say hi to my family, my father, my mom, or sometimes they stayed there for a while talking about this and that. So I didn't know the importance to uh, 
uh, be part of that when I was a kid. Yeah, you just assume it's normal when it's your family. It's just the exactly. people that you know. Yeah, of course. Exactly. But as soon as I get some more conscious uh, of uh, the environment around myself, and then I realized that I was very lucky and very blessed to be able to see everything I saw and everything I heard. And... Um, And also to be guy for many of them because they used to tell me, you know, you should not do that and you should play this this way and you have to do that and this and this and this. Do you remember a specific advice? I remember for the most precious thing that I received, of, it was from a guy. His name is Pedro. Well, he passed away many years ago. Uh, Pedro Hernandez. He was a, a violin player, but he was a composer too. And and he was also a person with a lot of talent to form, to educate. Um, and he was a very uh, close to my family. He used to play danzón. Danzón is one of the most uh, famous uh style of a Cuban style of a music style from uh, from the beginning of the 19th of the 20th century um, it's a combination of uh, a European music with the Cuban uh, percussion you can hear all the harmonies and melodies clearly uh, that can be You can hear that in, in, in Bach or in Beethoven or in Mozart, but then behind that, the rhythm section is a totally Cuban. Um, and that was in the 20s and the 30s was the, one of the most popular uh, style of, uh, of Cuban music in Cuba. The people used to dance with that uh, in between the 30s and the 40s or even the 20s and the 40s. Um, everybody was in love with this kind of music. Yeah, this is what you, they used to hear that in the, on the radio. They, this is what they used to go out uh, to what we, to the places to dance. That's the music that they used to enjoy. Hmm. Um, and this guy, he composed beautiful, uh, beautiful dancers, many of 50, 60 dancers, many of them very were not in Cuba. And he said once, um, I will teach you to play danso, and at the same time, I will teach you to play uh, by first, uh, how you say, when you see the for the first time the charge. Side uh, reading? The side reading. And I remembered he arrived home one of those afternoons, and during the weekend, he said, okay, He put in the piano one of his uh, compositions. He took the violin out. And he said, one, two, three, four. And I supposed to follow him and play what I what he was it was in the paper. Hmm. And um, I was a struggle. I said, well, and he said, no. Look, the first thing that we have to understand is that the music is a language. It's an idiom. And 
you have to read that in the same way you take the newspaper in the, in the morning and you read it. You don't know what is coming. Right. In, in, the, in the newspaper. But you take it, you open the newspaper and you read. Everything is in there. And also you made an interpretation of what you read. So this is exactly what uh, you should uh, do with the music. And when you read something else, any music for the first time, you have to try to follow the notes. Everything is in there. But at the same time, you have to uh, give that an intention. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's, um, you need exercise that. But that should be the way. And I learned with him to do that. Um, so he used to come home to the house two or three times a week, and we used to do that exercise. Mm. It helped me a lot because um, when I was 15 or 16 years old, I used to play a lot in different cabarets and clubs in Havana. Um, and that's the way they work there. They change every night. Uh, I mean, they have a, a repertoire, but for some reason, uh, normally in a week, you can see two, three or four, uh, they change a little bit the repertoire for for two or three songs uh, each two nights. Uh, mm. And there's no way, there's no time to rehearse. So um, when I was uh, doing this uh, kind of job, I was already prepared because that relationship with this uh, mentor that I have. Uh, um, That's great. Also, the, the feeling. They, they talk a lot of the feeling. You know, even this, they used to say, even if the tempo is a, is a fast tempo, so you have to find a way to to breathe. It doesn't matter how fast is the tempo of the music you play. You need to breathe, and you have to accommodate yourself. You cannot play like somebody that is uh, uh, in the position to get up from the seat. You have to mm. sit, sit down. Sit in, in the beat. And exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and also technical things. I, when I... There's a guy still alive. Uh, everybody knows him as Changuito. Mm. He's a percussionist. And he was a, the drummer uh, of one of the most iconic um, Cuban orchestra. Still, they, this orchestra is still active. they playing around. Los Bam Bam. And these, this, this band came up in the 70s and they made a mix between kind of a rock and roll with some of the Cuban traditions, a rhythm, and that was an amazing experiment. So that guy, he also changed totally the way to play uh, percussion as part of the Cuban uh, band. Uh, he's, he's, he changed the setup. I remember that he used to play the drum set, but without uh, cymbals. Mm -hmm. 
the only symbols he had was the high hat and not crash or any or right or whatever. Uh, so he had the toms, the snare, the bass drum, but at the same time he had he got some of the uh, Afro-Cuban elements like cowbells uh, and many other stuff. So he changed the sonority, the sound of how to uh, set up a, a drum set to play it in the Cuban band. But not only the sound, but also the codes, the rhythm uh, designs. He was an amazing, uh, very creative guy. He used to pass by my by the house sometimes, and I remember I remember that the first pair of sticks that I had, he was the one that brought it from Japan. They they flew to Japan to play there. And he, when he came back, he said, "This is for you, uh, but I want you to practice at least four hours." each day. So in one month, when I'm coming back, that stick has to be destroyed. <laughs> you cannot have that stick <laughs> intact. Yeah. You know? uh, the good thing about that generation is that they have a hard, hard conscious of, uh, of discipline. And um, they believe in and of course, in the talent of the people, but they believe in how much the people work to get up there. Um, they were totally clear about it. They said, no, 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 this is, uh, this is not a party. Yeah. This is what they tried to, to pass young people. Uh, there's nothing you can get without, uh, invest, invest in time uh, to uh, uh, practicing and, and to know yourself and also to uh, develop uh, yourself as a, as, a, as a player, listening, music, reading book, uh, practicing at home, uh, trying to have a conversation with different musicians, interacting, you know, <clears throat> and this is what I get since I was a little kid. Uh, also, by my the, the, the members of my family, they, they had the same same school. I remember that my mom was the one always behind me, uh, make uh, making sure that I spend the, the right time, the, the the right time practicing with all the the notes that. I got from the school and the book, yeah, and the notebook, um, and that this is something that if you get that when when you are a kid, uh, you never forget that. You know, actually, yeah. there's no way to live uh, without that um, conception, without that idea of how it should be the the way to be. Uh, how you should relate, be related with the music. I'm now, I mean, sometimes I feel tired, really tired because the, traveling around and doing too many things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I, and I have it, I know that I had to, to, to rest a little bit. Uh, 
and I need it. But those days when I need to rest and I decide to rest, I'm still thinking about uh, and saying myself, I should be doing that thing or something else because I have the feeling that I'm doing nothing, that I'm wasting the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is horrible. It's horrible <laughs> because uh, you are you are never in peace. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, in that talking about that, you know, about, unless um, you play, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But in the same way, we had to uh, understand the importance to have uh, a serious, and professional attitude relationship with our what we do. It's also important to. Uh, set up the moment to charge batteries, you know, and to yeah. rest. Uh, it's important physically, it's important mentally, mm -hmm. uh, emotionally, spiritually. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so over the course of all the time you've spent on the piano throughout the years, like how, how much did it change? Like how much did you spend time at the piano when you were starting out? when you were, you know, growing up and how is it now for you? Can you give us a little insight into that? Well, I believe that I spend more time with the piano and the music in general now than, than, than 40 years ago. Interesting. When we're young, uh, we believe that we're going to be young always. Um, and, uh, we are able to see how strong we are and how the amount of energy we have and how fast can be the process to assimilate something else and yeah. information and to work with that. And things change through the years. And the most important thing is to know that, to be aware how much you change through the years, you have to be aware of that and accepting that you have to accept that as much, you know, about yourself in any aspect, positive or negative, and then you are able to, to go on steps that, uh, you can find solutions and benefits. Um, it's not about to to believe that what you what you have done already is enough and and, and, and is enough to uh, to take the decision to be uh, off of the of the the attitude of uh, curiosity to be curious to be yeah uh, you know, hungry you know, looking for, uh, no, um, I mean, we can be happy. We can be grateful. We can be, uh, you know, feel in, 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 in peace with what we have done already, but this is a, already part of the past. It's part mm -hmm. of the, it was yesterday, but we had to know what to find, what to do today. And, um, Everything is different. Every day is different for me. Every day, not every week or every month or every year. Every day is different. I can spend uh, 
hours and hours working with the piano uh, in different projects because I had been involved with classical music, playing classical, playing with trio, solo, a duet with singers. And, and, and next day, it's in the morning. To me, the most important is to reset again mm. my mind. Uh, looking for those aspects, sincerely, I mean, those aspects where I'm fragile, where I have problems, where I know I have problems, where I know I have still things to put together. Uh, sometimes we made the, the, the mistake that to repeat doing hours and hours what we already know and what we already are in control of. Mm -hmm. And this is not the best way to to practice. Uh, we have to program and to set up a way to work during the day. But we need to be sincere with yourself. Being honest, yeah. You're being honest with yourself. It's not to be in front of the mirror and, and, and telling yourself how beautiful you are. <laughs> No, it's not about that. Um, and that's the most difficult thing, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, because we want enjoy, to enjoy what we do. And obviously, we are to enjoy what you already know how to do it. It's an easy step. It's a very easy way to, you know, to be comfortable. The problem is to wake up in the morning and said, okay, I need to work on this, 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 which is where I had to find a way to grow up. Um, we, every day we don't have the same, we are not in the same mood. We are not um, mentally at the same level. The spiritual, we are not also in the same level. Uh, so the problem is not only to be able and sit down on the piano and play, but to set up your entire body and, and, and mind to take advantage of uh, the, the time you will be there working with and to be focused on what you're doing. Um, How do you stay focused? That's a good, that's a good mm, question. And um, sometimes we believe it, that uh, we need a space, uh, conditioned space where we are uh, with the right people in the right place, with the right tools, and the right things around. Uh, that help, uh, but it's not definitely uh, the only things to be focused. Um, I have to, well, there are no kids anymore. Uh, but I've, when they were kids, I had three, two boys and a girl. And um, you, you, I not, I was not totally in, in, in condition to have uh, a silent play to work. Um, so my solution with them was not to tell them to make silence, but to be part of what were what I was doing. So I called them and said, okay, look what I do. 
or look at at least what I'm trying to do. <laughs> and you maybe can help me to do that. So we can establish that relationship that I teach you or I, I pass you what I'm doing here. I explain you what I'm doing here. And then I, I will ask you to help me to work with that. Wow. That's um, great. You know, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and then I didn't waste time. I was not wasting time to trying to make the people, you know, to said, Oh, you cannot be here. You cannot, you had to make silence. So yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end, at the end of the day, they understand that they, to be silent was the best way to do that. That because they were involved ultimately. Yeah, they were part they, of it. They, they were part of that and they understood what you were doing. You know? So <clears throat> uh, when you have to explain somebody else around you what you do, or at least you, you talk about what you do, um, you need to convince people about it. There's no more, no, not much space in your, in your, in your head to be thinking about something different because you had to find a way not only to think about what you're doing, but to convince the people who are about what you're doing and to make them be in love with your, uh, your, your, your work, your job. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, I, I tried to combine that with exercise. I used to go out and live in a, in a what we call a, a gate community. So you don't get a uh, traffic you know, car here inside of this area. And uh, I used to run a lot. Now less. I used now I do more bike mm -hmm. than than running. Uh, but I used to run a lot, and I found out that when I get a struggle after two, three, four hours working, especially in composition. And I couldn't get at some point with uh, something else that I, I mean, harmonically or whatever, the moment of the composition that I didn't, I didn't know how to get out of that or how to continue that. I used to stop and go out and run. And then ideas used to came. Mm -hmm. Um, I explained that to my principal doctor. He said to me, well, there could be a reason, a very powerful reason when you are running, you are stimulating your blood circulation. And that blood circulation coming easily to your breath uh, with more, more fluid your brain to your brain mm -hmm. and um <clears throat> that probably uh because that is stimulation then you are able to uh, put together uh, more ideas or, or to have more capacity to analyze and or, or, or to observe uh what you're doing and then you can find a, a more easy solutions uh, i mean he gave me an explanation about that the, the point is that i I did that for years and years and years. That helped me a lot. Mm. Uh, and I did it also because I had always been in trouble with my bonds and, and, and 
problem with my low back and an ache. Mm-hmm. And I also need to be active physically to avoid any, uh, or, or at least to have more problems that I had already. I did it for the first time when I was 12 years old because I was asthmatic. I had asthma. And after many different uh, uh, shots, uh, vaccine and stuff that I, they gave it to me, the only thing that worked was going close to the sea and run around the sea. Yeah. It was easy in Cuba because I used to live in uh, about two blocks from the sea. So, and that really helped me a lot. So I had that uh, already, that passion to run and to make exercise when I was a teenager. Um, and I still do it. I still do it. I mean, my plan in the day is to be awake in the morning, about eight in the morning, or sometime a little bit before. And um, someday I start with working with the piano because I have some projects, uh, a specific project, and I work directly with the music of this project in the morning. And then after lunch, I work in the afternoon, composition, whatever I'm doing, but in terms of uh, creation. Six o'clock, 6.30, depending on the moment of the year, if the sun is not too strong, then I go out and I run or I take bike and I do some exercise. And normally in the evening, I come back to work a little bit, mostly on composition. This is more or less my routine. Sounds like a great day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you have only limited time? Like what happens if you... If you have kind of what I don't know business meetings or appointments or whatever, and your limited time for making music or dealing with music is like ninety minutes. Uh, well, that happened when I'm on, on tour. Yeah, you don't have too much time to. But if I have a day off, I try in advance, even before I start a tour. When I see the day off, I have. And where are those day off, each country with city? Um, I try to organize a place where they have a piano, something like that, and then I go there, and I at least I I spend how much uh, the amount of time they can provide me one hour, yeah. one hour, two hours, two hours, three is okay. Uh, but this is what I do, and sometimes you know. I, I have seen myself with three days off in the middle of the tour. Maybe not the three days, but two of those three days, I try to find a place where I can get a piano. Yeah. And then I spend there two hours. Sometimes they say, oh, this is only two hours. Okay, that's enough. You have to then to look to see how in two hours you get what you need or what you want. Which is also a very good challenge because uh, when you are at home, you know that you have the whole day to program yourself. But when you have two hours and then you have to change totally mm-hmm. the 
the the process how to assimilate and how to get out of uh, those two hours what you need um i remember that uh, that was december or november of the last year i was um on the middle of the tour i was trying to learn um i don't know which piece was that it was bartok the, the, the piece of for two pianos and percussion mm. um, and symphony orchestra Bellabat. and um i didn't have enough time when i was at home uh to really practice and learn of the piece i already played the piece six or seven years ago but this is a piece that um very complex and very difficult to play many aspects i mean technically rhythmically every aspect and um so i brought my book with me and um of course i had some day off but even the day of the concert i used to go early to the venue and um and to play in the venue with the piano sometimes they have piano in the dressing room Mm -hmm. okay so and i use it and, and and that was the way that i found out to to put the music together so <clears throat> yeah um some people believe that um uh, uh or i believe i guess that many people believe that we had a lot of time to to go around out of the city when we go on tour and, and to see all the places where we play things that i love to do too mm -hmm. i love to walk around and but at the same time um, it's impossible to me to uh, ignore or to get out of my in a complete routine what i what really support me would have really take take me in, in a good shape yeah to do music uh it doesn't matter we are on tour or or the jet lag which is sometimes to me is very difficult especially when you go to japan china or mm. those low places yeah i try to organize uh, and to make the people that are behind the, the production aware of what I need in this matter. Um, some people look to you like you are crazy, but that's the way. Yeah. That's the, that's the, to me, that's the way. That's the only way. Mm -hmm. May I ask, like you say, like every day you try to reset in the morning and see what you need to deal with in mm -hmm. that specific day. But is there something that that you always do? or most of the time do yeah yeah you i try to be in, in total synchronization with my next project i mean um, i know that i had to go out in two weeks and in two weeks i will be playing i don't know maybe uh, i have that record now uh, with the Get Rick Patron, mm -hmm. the French. So, 
We haven't played that, but we already played that music live once about two weeks ago in Coutance in France, but we haven't played that in a year. We went to the studio in New York in June, of the last year, June, and we didn't see each other. We didn't play that music in a year. So <clears throat> I knew that at least three weeks, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks before we're supposed to do that concert in France. I'm supposed to already connect with the music. Um, you know, to bring that music again, part of my um, of my memory of my life, of part of me. Mm-hmm. Internalizing uh, the music. Exactly. Uh, but at the but I know that in the same tour, I had that concert with Rick, but I had three more concerts, solo piano, which is, had nothing to do with this repertoire. And probably after those three concerts, I have a concert with a duet with Aimeno Viola, uh, the Cuban singers that we have been doing uh, concert for the last two years. Yeah. So we're talking about three different projects in the projects in the same tool with totally different projection, musical projection. Um, I cannot go out there without mm, be clear about the three things that I had to do. Um, it's not enough to say, I know the music, I play the music already. I managed that you know, easily because I had been working with this music for a while, and I know I may. And I'm, no, I'm the the kind of a person that I I like to work in advance, no matter if this is a music that has been playing for I don't know how many years. Uh, but as I said, if I played the music with Rick a year ago. That music today, it doesn't sound the same for me. I am not the same today. So <clears throat> I want to, I need to have that uh, contact again with this material and, and see how I see it now in relation with what here you And I hear the record. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I like in the record, but I a lot of things already that I, it can be different. Mm-hmm. So this is one of my uh, intentions when when we go next time to play, which is not about to play with, with what already is in the record, but what we can do now. An update. This music, exactly. Mm-hmm. You cannot do that at the same day of a concert or a day before. You cannot prepare that two hours before the concert mm-hmm. or during the sound check, you know. So how do you internalize this music or music in general? Uh, well, part of that is if we already, if I already recorded, uh, the first thing is to check what I did in the record. Not with the intention to repeat it again or to, you know, again, to play it exactly the same. Um, 
I actually don't like what I recorded three months or two months after I did it. And sometime a week after. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. I want to come back again to the studio and say, let's do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we know that's the way. Um, and it, when they happen, it's a good sign. So this is what I tried first, what we did. Or at least what is the, what was the, the, the direction of this record, what yeah. we intend to do with this record. Uh, because some way we had to maintain that 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 idea, that concept. Second, how we can develop the concept, how we can amplify the concept, and third, um, I need to feel comfortable with that. I need to feel that I'm fluid, that the thing comes fluid, and not a struggle trying to. Think about the music and playing the music and, uh, in many aspects of the, the structure of the music, the language, the idiom, yeah. um, <clears throat> everything which is about the music. I need to manage that in some, uh, not, not in an easy way, but that I feel that I can work with that, go with the flow. And <clears throat> Otherwise, it's, it's impossible to add anything else because you're still, you're still learning the music. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult to add something, to build something on top of that. Yeah, so because that, the fun, foundation is still in exactly, movement and not exactly, fixed. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I just read a book uh, of uh, Nadia Boulanger. You know, uh-huh. the, the great teacher? Mm-hmm. Of course. And she talked to, um, it just reminded me, you know, she talked to a famous uh, violin player out of a string quartet. And uh, the string quartet, uh, they were about to rehearse a piece that they have been playing for ages. And she was like, why do you, why do you keep rehearsing the song? You play it like 100 times a year. Why do you still rehearse it? And the guy said, because we play it 100 times a year, <laughs> that's why we have to work on it. Otherwise, we, we, we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't, uh, it would be hard for us to take this music all the time because, you know, it has to be developed. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's exactly like that. You know, it's, it's, it's exactly the way that life works. And especially when you, uh, have a relationship with somebody else. It doesn't matter if this is your girlfriend or your wife or, or any. Um, there's a risk also always when you spend too much time sharing with somebody else to repeat things automatically. Yeah. That's exactly what happened with the music. Unless you don't care about it. I want to repeat that because I feel okay repeating that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I can understand that. And I'm afraid to change anything else because anything worked perfectly in the way it is. But some people, 
are always in that um, point where they need to be sure that um, trying to change a little bit or to transform a little bit the way to do what you already have been done for a, for a long time and bring some healthy and bring some new things. It doesn't have to be big. Little new things are enough. So the risk of playing the same project for two years, which is uh, you can be grateful because you have been working, you have the, the possibility to be in front of a different kind of audience around the world um, and playing, I don't know how many concerts a year. There's a good side of that. It's, and, and we have to applause that and, and say thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end, you can be sure that I, you already assume part of that in the very static way. Nothing move out of the same space in the same frame. And and sometimes the, the thing is, what happens if I go out of the frame or I try to amplify the frame? Which one? Hmm? Mm -hmm. But I don't want to be in the same frame for a while. I mean, still doing the same thing. And I don't want to um, continue trying to walk around the same space that I know exactly, exactly how it works, how is this, the colors, the corners, the shades, mm -hmm. uh, everything. I want to use that experience to see how I can go ahead. Hmm. It's not about to, to ignore what you already know. It's, it's, it's about to use what you already know to continue. <clears throat> so rehearsing is never, is had nothing to do with playing life. Mm -hmm. It's two different, total different spirits. Uh, there's nothing like feeling the presence of the people on the stage when you go out on the stage and you see audience there. That's a different experience. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment where even when you are, you have been working as crazy to have everything done in the most perfect possible way, there's a little moment when you go there that makes you feel that you are not totally, totally, totally in good shape to do what you had to do. Because the feeling of respect, uh, the emotion, the respect, the responsibility that you feel in the moment that you go there and you see the people that came to to be part of the evidence of what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. that, that, has, that It has nothing to do with rehearsing. Rehearsing has a different attitude, different 
It's totally different experience. So imagine if you don't prepare yourself, you don't you don't contact with the people there that to that may accompany you on stage. You don't have you don't know enough the people that work with you. They don't know enough you. Uh, the feeling of uh, insecurities even more and more. It's, it's mm -hmm. huge. It's huge. Because to me, the act of uh, going out of the stage and playing with the trio, duet, uh, any format, instrumental format, it's not a musical experience also, but it's a human experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a life experience, you know. And I feel that as much as you, I know this guy and this guy, as much I can talk to them and I can spend time in a table, taking a glass of wine, eating some good food, laughing, discussing, um, talking about different issues of uh, music, but life in general. I know that as much as I can do that with them, uh, we have a lot of more points to work together in the stage, reference, point of view. Um, and I remember well, Charlie Hayden, for example, I, he played a lot with Charlie Hayden, live. We went on tour a lot. And, um, and I appreciate a lot you know, to be part of Charlie's band. And I learned a lot with Charlie Eddie in the stage, but also out of the stage. Because at the end, well, we, the amount of time we are on the stage is no more than two hours. Hour and a half, hour 15, hour 45, two hours. Okay. And then the rest, the, tr the rest is traveling together. Is uh, eating together, is talking, is uh, taking a plane, a train, a bus, a, a car, um, uh, you know, we spend, we have the same situation, not, you know, not uh, sleeping enough, mm -hmm. uh, feeling more or less the same. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and then you know the, the, the person, you know the human being. You know what they lack, what they don't, they don't, how they see life, how they see history, the history, how they, and um, it's impossible not to bring all these experience to the music and to the stage. It's impossible. Uh, so this is what really put the people together. The, the moment of doing music is the culmination. That's the last. That's the last part of the whole process. Mm. Yeah, when we go to the stage, that's the ending. That's. But then we have been since the morning, <laughs> taking uh, three planes around uh, yeah. Europe and, and and talking about this and confronting, facing uh, problems and looking for solutions and. Uh, any kind of problem. I mean, I, I have been exposed to, I don't know how many different experiences when I'm on tour. So I remember that I've, I received the news of when my mom passed away 
I was already flying from Miami to to Germany. My my parents were at that concert, mm -hmm. and I have a bootleg of that concert, and it's one of my wow. ma uh, most favorite recordings of you, and it's wow. um, it's, it's such an amazing musical um, story that you guys put together there and. My parents still talk about that uh, concert, and I'm so sad that I missed it. Mm. But I, uh, yeah, I can't. I can't imagine how it, that must have been like to play, to have to play in that, or to get to play in that kind of moment. Well, this is uh, those are uh, those kind of experiences you never believe, you never go through your head that you're going to leave or face a situation like that. Actually, actually, you don't want to think that you have to leave that. But that's life. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no control about it. There's no way to control that. And those are the moments that really show you who you are. And I sometimes I think... Uh, Sometimes we ask ourselves, why I had to leave that situation, that experience? Why I had to pass through that situation? Yeah, because that's another way to learn. Mm -hmm. another, it's another way to know yourself, how you, who you are, who is in there. Uh, if you don't get exposed, you don't get in front of that, you are not part of that situation, you never know your capacity. Mm. Uh, of reaction, you have to. It not. It's not enough with somebody telling you that they had that experience already. No, there's no way you to imagine mm. why you be able to do in that situation. Um, also, many years ago, I remember that when my second son uh, was born, I wasn't there. I wasn't too. And I received oh, wow. the news. I was received the news by phone, and also with my little girl, the only one that I was there when he was born was the the, the older one. Mm -hmm. uh, so, in situations like that, you know, um, good and bad news uh, at the same moment, uh, just at right. Some uh, few minutes before you had to go out there, and you said, "Well, the people that came here, they came here looking for something else, which is not exactly my problem. My problem is my problem, and I had to find a way to solve it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I cannot pass that to them." And I still have to find a way to bring them. If not everything, if not the whole package, at least part of them looking for coming to these place mm -hmm. and to be part of this moment. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's really difficult. Um, you have to leave some part of, of your existence in somewhere and trying to bring out there the other side. Um, 
But it makes you strong. It makes you really strong. And it makes you not only strong, but more sensitive. Mm -hmm. uh, because you know already what is the feeling passing for a situation like that. So when you hear about somebody else having similar situation, you know already what they are experimenting. Um, <clears throat> and then maybe you can help because you already passed with this situation. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, if, if somebody asked me and said, do you, would you change, would you, would you change something of your life and especially your physical career? You have the chance to say, I would like to change it. I would say no. I accept and I assume and I feel blessed with everything I have been able to leave and the mm. way it has been. Uh, because it's not about uh, the situations that uh, we have to face. It's about to learn from that situation and to become a better, a better person after all, a better musician after all. A better professional, a better uh, father, friend, a better human being. Um, I always said that through the music, I became a better person. Mm. And becoming a better person, uh, being able to make a better music, a more deep music. Yeah. So it's an interaction, it's a game there that it is your life, it's your soul, it's the music, how that music, that action that become part of your life and how you put your life in there. This is all the time in that kind of uh, mm -hmm. I'm curious about um, something that I think every musician struggles with. It's a dilemma. We learn to play the instrument and we get better at it. And um, of course, in various degrees of, of um, abilities, but we have some, we have some ability on our instrument. But just um, the reason that we are being that we are able to do something doesn't really call for the need to do it. You know what I mean? So the the dilemma between being able to play something, having technical facility, musical facility, is not the same as having a musical thought or idea. Mm -hmm. It's just a means. Um, and I'm I'm curious how you dealt with that throughout the years. Well, Look, um, I have been in the middle of uh, people that I love, actually, the people that I respect, that they said, um, you maybe practice too much. You, maybe you 
did too much uh, on top of the instrument, too many hours, and uh, and it probably mm, take out time. I mean, you don't have too much time to uh, take care of uh, all the elements or all the aspects of, uh, of the music. Uh, but you are very hungry to know the instrument and, and mm -hmm. manage the instrument, whatever. And I said, no. I mean, physically, yeah, it's true that I'm, I spend too much time with the instrument. But what I'm trying to, to get out of there is to, uh, open some ways. Uh, in Spanish, we say to abrir conductos, to open pathways, pathways that allow me to express myself with totally freedom. Mm. I'm not trying to tell the people it doesn't mean that sometimes it, it come out, but I'm not trying to tell, to show the people mainly now, or at least in the last 10 or 15 or 20 years, uh, only my technical abilities. But I have uh, a way to think musically that I need some tools that allow me to tell that clearly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And clean and precise. Um, and I always talk about, I, I always that, I had that example, example of uh, the Lonely Monk. The Lonely Monk had a, he was criticized at some point in his life for those pianists that have an amazing abilities at that time. They didn't recognize him as a, as a piano player. No, he's an amazing composer, whatever, but he's not, an, he's not a piano player. If you hear, you compare the first recordings of Monk with the last ones, you can hear an evolution in the way to work with the piano. Not with, only with the music, with the piano. Mm -hmm. So it means that uh, he was conscious of, uh, of the importance to develop a way to use the instrument to tell the people his stories. Mm -hmm. He was not the same guy in terms of uh, as a piano player. It was a huge evolution. But the other question is, well, um, do you, are, are we confused about the piano player that Monk, he was, was Monk or not with his style to play and to, to, and to do his music? 
there's a confusion about that because I know, I see a lot of people that play Mark Luizia, they try to play like him, exactly like him. They're trying to play the music, uh, looking for a different side of this music. They try to play like him. Mm. So how is that, that it wasn't important, his playing as a musician, that we're trying to play like him? Mm -hmm. I mean, as a piano player. And we, we're trying to, to reproduce the apparently mistakes and, 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 you know, all the, this way he had to, to relate to, to the, the relationship he had you know, that, that he established with the instrument. That was the way he could play. And then we understand that, uh, that we had to reproduce that. And this is something that, oh, I never understand clearly. I said, the music monk, yeah, it's true that there was a, it, at the end, it sounded like in a style in the way he played. But the music monk has a, a lot of possibilities mm. to, to, to develop in terms of how to express that, how to interpret the music. We don't have to be static there trying to do exactly because it's like it trying to do the same with uh, with Dizzy Gillespie, with Charlie Parker, or with Contrain, or whatever, or them, or them Bill Evans, or Aero Garner. That mm -hmm. he didn't he didn't read music, he didn't have almost uh, what we understand like the, like the technique to play the piano. But he had uh, the way to sound. Mm -hmm. He had the way to express himself. So at the end, we need to find a way to express ourselves, mm -hmm. each one. You know? Of course, we had to learn how they did it. We had to understand how they did it. We had to take advantage of that information. Uh, some, at some point in our you know, life, we had to emulate some of those models, but with the intention to get out of that at the end I think that's that's the big step right mm -hmm. <clears throat> um but yeah no we don't have to see be prepared technically um as a, a symbol of involution or, or a symbol of, of anything negative, no. No, I think a, a bass player that is not able to tune the notes, um, will become a problem for somebody that call him to play a music that um, you need to be in tune because the, the way the bass lines work together with the piano, together with that, we need to somebody else to be precise in a way to deliver that yeah. uh, that music. Uh, but even when you ask somebody else to try not to be in tune, but to be around, I believe that the first thing you have to know how to be in tune. Right. No? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know if I'm, 
I always feel in disadvantage when I had to talk about all those things in English. Uh, because I know I could explain that much better. I could be more <laughs> deep in my explanation in Spanish, but um, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. But I, I mean, it. and the way that your music grows and the way you grow as a composer, as an improviser, you need to also develop your tools to tell that. Yeah. It's a normal relationship. It's, it's natural. You cannot keep in the same level technically and trying to tell complex message. It's like like when you write and you say, Well, I wanna I I would like to to write something like Shakespeare. But I don't have the tools, I don't have the to do it. And I actually know how to develop the idea, but grammatically, I don't know how to do that. Well, we are in front of the same situation with the music. Mm. Um, the people that orchestrate, same thing. Uh, they really know that it really had to be every day updated with the possibilities to manipulate the sound of a big band of the symphony orchestra, how to work with combinations, the tensions, the texture. Uh, so that's exactly the same that uh, when we spend time trying to know the instrument that uh, at the end of the life, it doesn't matter how much time you have been working with your instrument. You never did it. You never get in real control of that. I, I, I feel today, I just got 60 a few days ago. Hey, happy birthday. Thank I you. Didn't know that. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and I, I, I wake up in the morning and say, I had the, the sensation, the feeling. I don't know. I don't know nothing about that. It, it's not a pose. It's not an attitude. It's a real thing. Mm -hmm. so, or I can say that differently. The feeling I have that, that I, there's too many things still to perform, to do, to, to explore, to know. Um, it's not enough. And if you count, you said, okay, I just started nine years old. The first time that I sit down in front of this instrument and now I'm 60 and I has been spending, I don't know, from that amount of year, how much time I has been trying to play that instrument. Apparently correct. No. <laughs> no, 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 because it's a combination of uh, what you see. If I see you playing, when I hear you playing, when you hear your compositions, and I hear the different players, for sure, I can find propositions, vision, concepts, ideas, 
that come through you, not in my mind, it come from you. And I had to be able to, to see that and to accept that. I said, look at this, uh, that moment here musically that he's, uh, he's offering the beauty of that, how he did that. So you had to find a way to understand what is happening there. Hmm. Um, that's a good st stimulation to go back to the instrument. Hear somebody else play. It's a, yeah. What was this? You know? Um, so it never stopped. It never stopped. Um, today, you become a reference or you become the, the person that stimulates people around. But you have been stimulated for other people too because you get from somebody else also stimulation to do what you do. And it's a cycle. It's always like that. You know? mm -hmm. And it's, it has no age. It's not about to be less or more uh, or older or younger. No, no. I believe that it's a lot of people, no matter which age, they have a lot to say and to surprise you. Mm -hmm. If you're yeah. listening. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's the point. So to be able to listen and be able to be surprised. Hey, you'd be surprised is that you have been able to recognize the moment, something. Yeah, but it's also being able to accept that you say, I don't know something. Exactly. Because too quickly, too often we say, yeah, I can, I know, mm -hmm. I kind of know. But mm -hmm. I, I often say like, if we would know, we would do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But we're not, we're not doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, normally you go to clinics or conversation about exactly what we're doing now. They call you, they invite you to go to any university, jazz department, or sometimes when we go on tour, promoters ask you to do a conversation, a clinic or something before the concert or in the afternoon. By the way, to me, sometimes this is too much. Um, and I know it's a noble, it's a noble action. But also in the middle of the tour, there's too many things that we are exposed to, a lot of energy. And, um, and we have a, a main, a main responsibility, which is the concert. Right. And we have to arrive there in a, in a good, uh, with good energy, good position to, uh, to bring your art. But anyway, uh, normally people that assist, that they come to see you talking, many of them are, are waiting to hear from you aspect totally theoric about music. You know, specific information uh, about Harmony, 
is that, <clears throat> which is obvious, and at some point we, opportunity we had to uh, make reference to those aspects. But I love to do exactly what we had done today. Um, because you can have, uh, you you can be in, in totally uh, controlled and, and 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 know exactly how to work with these and, and and all the elements that we use to make music, uh, theoretically speaking. Uh, maybe your music don't tell nothing to the people. Mm. But you know much, you're not a lot. And uh, when I came to the superior art institution in, in, in Cuba to come, to get a class of composition, the first question I got from my teacher, his name is uh, Roberto Valera. He He's part of a, a group of composers, contemporary composers, that had a, a tremendous impact. Did you record a song by him on this record? Uh, no, I record a song there from Catulla, which is another ah. com a contemporary composer. But yeah. I've, I've, I heard this name. Roberto Valera, bro, for, for sure. Have you have you recorded something from him also? Or I maybe mentioned him in some of the record or something. I don't yeah. remember to, yeah. And he asked me, what, what are you looking for coming here? What is your... And I said, well, I, I want to learn how to compose. And he said to me, well, you came to the wrong place. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah. I'm not able to learn, to teach anybody how to compose. I don't think there's nobody in the world able to teach somebody compose. But I can pass you all the elements, factors, tools, experience, uh, facts, and reference, book, records. I can pass you all this, and we can discuss about this, and I can explain you the history, how things has been. But if you don't have nothing to tell the people, that that thing, that aspect, I cannot pass to you. You know. So he said no, and we have to understand that some people have the the ability to tell stories. Some people are not. Some people are able to reproduce the artist stories and made an interpretation of these stories. And they do an amazing interpretation of that. And we need that too. We need that too. Uh, but coming here, expecting that you're going at the end, when you finish here five years later, you will become and a tremendous composer, I cannot assure that to you. Uh, for for sure, 
you will get here everything you need to cook. You know? mm -hmm. And it changed totally my my way to think about it and to see that and to see myself there. I said, okay. And I understood. Day by day, I understood what he trying to say to me in the beginning. Um, so, going to the the classes or the conversation with the people I want, to me, is more important to push new or young people to understand uh, why they want to become musician, why they they need to to be part of this uh, story, you know, about this community. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that somebody else uh, impose you to become a musician and say you have to be that because of... But this is a very personal decision, individual decision, something that come to you. I heard, I used to hear people that said, well, normally you need to have a background if you have family of a tradition of to make music in order to come with some talent to do music. It's not true. Mm. Not true. Um, I used to have a manager more than a monitor, he was a, like a like a father. When I came here, when I moved to the United States, he, he, this person passed away already. A great human being. He was a doctor. He lived in California. And um, I used to play in a club in California that's still alive, uh, Carolina's Jazz Club in California. But I used to play in the when in the original one. There was a team place that it has only fifteen tables or something like that. Later on, they 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 moved to a bigger place in Los Angeles, and I used to play in this club a lot when I moved here to it. And I remember that every time I played in this club, there was the same couples in the same table close to the piano, same faces, every night, both sets, until one day they decide to come back to, go back to the dressing room and they introduce themselves. Hmm. And um, and I was glad that we could talk and I, you know, and I said, I'm really grateful that or you support, you come here every night, every set, every time I come here. Oh, yeah, a lot of um, compliments and everything. They invite me to go to their house and take a, a dinner together, and I accepted it again. The thing is that at the end, there was a beautiful relationship, and him and his wife at that time they helped me a lot. Not only me, but they helped my family a lot. Hmm. That was right at the beginning when we moved to the United States. 
we were coming from Dominican Republic because I I went out of Cuba to Dominican Republic first and then United States. And um, I didn't have anybody taking care of my, uh, you know, career, my business part. Yeah. And he <clears throat> offered himself as a well. It's not that I know a thing about it, but I mean, I can learn, I can, I can help you with anything you need. And that was the way we start working together. He was a guy in love with the music as you cannot, I mean, you cannot imagine the, the passion for the music this person had, and especially for piano, yeah, as an instrument. So he retired himself when he was uh, 67. He said, okay, that's the end. At that age, he paid to a woman in California, in Los Angeles, who was a classical piano player. And he started taking class, piano class. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm right now doing exactly what I want to do since I was a little kid. I didn't become a musician because uh, when I said in my family, my father was a, a lawyer and uh, my family was full of uh, people, the doctors, lawyers, this and this. And I said, I want to be a musician. Everybody said, mm, no, we cannot have musicians. This is not a real career. This is not a, you have to become a doctor. You have to become a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, then I decided to become a doctor. And then everybody was happy in the family because of that. But I has been frustrating the whole life because uh, my love is the music and the piano. So he was every month assisting as an audience to three or four concerts of the symphony orchestra in LA, the opera in LA, every jazz concert around, he was there. I mean, something amazing. But the meaning of that is at the end, the people look for what they really uh, uh, what the love they feel for something else is, yeah. is, is you cannot stop that. He is he wait until the end. And at the end, he was able to play some back uh, uh, preludes. And he was played to, able to play some Mozart, this and that. You know, uh, he didn't be, become a professional musician, but he was passionate. Exactly, you know. And that's a lesson. That's a strong lesson. And that's the reason I think uh, people that since little kids, they, they were totally clear in what, what they want. And you get support. And you get people around you that they push you and they create the condition around you to make that real. It's a blessing. Mm. It's, a, it's a real blessing.
Yeah, that connects us back to your mother, who mm -hmm. you wanted to make happy by playing the piano. Exactly. 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 Uh, love. Right. At the end is everything. <laughs> is everything. It had many forms. It had many, you know, shapes. That it has to be in everything we do. Yeah. Since the moment we visualize something, not even when it's done, but just in the idea, just as an idea, the passion of love has to be there. Because this is what really puts you to, to have the faith in something else and said, okay, I will do it. I will run the risk. I will push myself. I want to see that. I want to see that. This is exactly that it had to happen to you when you sit down at the piano. And as Estravinka said, uh, he was not afraid to do music, but afraid to, to, to write the first note in the paper. He was always afraid to be, to see the paper empty. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. true. It's totally true. It's, it's like a, a magic act when you see that the paper is becoming full of uh, images, notes, and symbols, yeah. and, and letters. And, and somebody words. else can read it, and, and it sounds like magic if exactly. played in the right way. And the good question could be, or the good point could be, think about how how that starts. How, how was the beginning of that? Because at the end, when you develop the idea, you forget about it, how you started. Mm -hmm. you, you enjoy the process, and you yeah. continue the process. Yeah. But that was a, a point zero. That was totally zero. You came with something else. An intention, an idea, uh, uh, a wish, uh, a need, something that you, boom. So let's see what happened. Mm -hmm. What was the point zero of the Ovida arrangement? <laughs> the Ovida, well, look, Ovida is uh, a very old bolero, Cuban bolero. Very well known for maybe not for young people, but for generations of uh, the 50, 60, 70 years ago, they used to dance close to their loved people with that music as a background. Um, and also, there was a song that was in the hands of one of the most iconic singer, Cuban singer, that the name was uh, Benny More. He had a special way to sing. And he has, a, he was followed by thousands, thousands of people in Cuba. Still, people love Benny More. He passed away in the, in the 60s. Mm. But when um, when that project 
came to mind. Came to me and they said, well, well let's, let's do a project which is trying to do a flamenco music with Cuban music and trying to convert some of the flamenco staff in Cuba. Mm. Idiom and vice versa, bringing the Cuban staff to the flamenco. Um, <clears throat> it's not that you cannot say this is a very difficult thing because there's a lot of things in common between the flamenco and part of the Cuban music. Not in everything in the Cuban music, but there's a side of the Cuban music that had a lot in common with the Iberic music. And, and what I did with this uh, bolero is trying to change the whole harmony, harmony uh, of the song, at least until the last section of the song. In the in the war of the flamenco harmonies. And literally uh, may disappear the the chords that everybody knows of this yeah. piece. Um, so the song actually it was automatically became very easy for for Esperanza, the singer. To think, to sing on top of that, because uh, she felt that she was already, in, she was already in the in, 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 the, in her her own war. I mean, you, you know like what I mean. Like environment, yeah. environment, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but to me, it wasn't like that. I mean, I had to. Uh, I had to have. The process was that I, I tried to disconnect as much as I could from the song in the way that I knew it. And I, that was a song that I used to, to hear at home and parties and everywhere. And, and, and I need to divorce myself with that. Um, but still, I needed to smell a little bit of the, the spirits of the song. Uh, but what happened with harmonies, with the harmonies behind the music? The harmonies creates uh, dramas. They create drama. So it means that I had to create a new drama behind the song. Because uh, what we know about the, the, the harmony behind the sun would not be there. And on the other hand, I had to learn more how is the, the typical construction of the flamenco harmonies, which is they have a different type of uh, voicing, relationship in between the, you know, the chords. The bass are not always the, 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 the root. The root. So, <clears throat> two processes, this connection, or apparently this connection with the tradition of the Cuban way to play the song. Second, learn how to bring the, the, the flamenco 
uh, award of the harmonies to the song. The third, make the result authentic, that the people believe of this. Because sometimes when you do that, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound real, it doesn't sound powerful in the, in the meaning of the, of the song. You feel like something that doesn't really go to anywhere. So that that was probably one of uh, the most difficult thing on this record was that how we create that bridge sometime that uh, we can go to the other side, uh, but not not as a cliche, not as yeah. a, you know. Yeah, you have to um, own it. Exactly. And you certainly do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, and I had a problem with that. I said, well, when the Cuban people heard that, what would be the reaction? And when the flamenco people heard that too, what would be the reaction? Yeah. You know? So you're totally alone. You're totally, you had not, any of the sides can uh, assure you that they will approve what you do, what you have been doing with that. Same thing when I did the record with Anna Maria Jupek, the, the, the Polish singer. She came with this project, uh, the music, uh, Jewish, Jewish Polish music, from the beginning of the 19th century, end of the, uh, end of the 19th century. Of the beginning of the 20th century. I never understood why she wanted me to be involved with that and said, I don't know nothing about that. I never heard it. And, I, and I'm afraid to be totally disconnected. I can put music in there, I can, you know, but at the end, it maybe say nothing. And I was afraid of that. We did it before that record. She invited me to play it in the record she did. That was a beautiful record that uh, um, I was invited to play some of the song on the piano, just playing the piano, but not involved in the arrangement. Um, but in this case, she wanted me to be the producer, the arrangement, the arranger, to make mm -hmm. the arrangement, to play the piano. So, and it was a huge responsibility. They said, well, finally she convinced me to do it. So we record here in Miami. Three songs first, not the whole break, just three songs, to see how it worked. And especially for her, to see how she feel. And she was the one at the end to decide to say, yeah, it worked or it doesn't work. Or we go ahead, but we forget about it. And we did it. Apparently it worked. And then we decide to go ahead. It's a beautiful music. Hmm. But the surprise, that's a music that they used to call tangos. Like Argentina tangos. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that was a, a music in, in Poland from that age that they called tangos. She said, I will send you uh, recordings 
it doesn't sound, it, the sound is not clean, it's not right. It's a whole recording, but uh, just to, to you to have a, a reference of how this is sound before. And it sounds very tip, very similar to tango, the tangos in Argentina. So it provoked, it, it brought out, up uh, a question. So the tangos, where the tangos came up first? That comes out of the tangos. Why the Polish people, how the Polish people arrived to this sound, that way to do music, or why the Argentina people, same question, who came first or how that, you know. Um, so the second step is formats, which in some, what kind of sample we, we use with that? Oh, wait, uh, wait, Gonzalo, what kind of answer did you arrive at? To the... Where's the link? With with, uh, with the Argentinian tango and the Polish? Well, I didn't find any, any. I found out, I, I, I was asking people and I was trying to look in, you know, internet and books, but there's nothing clear about it. Nothing that tell you is that uh, the tangos arrived in Argentina from places like, you know, uh, the, of, of Poland has influence in the in the way that Argentina makes uh, tangos. It wasn't clear for me. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, then my next question was, well, should I bring arrangement to the same format they used to uh, play that music. They have guitar, violin. There was no piano. Maybe one or two tunes. Uh, some percussion. There's, I think they have a clarinet too. Um, and I said, no. Let's do it in trio. But trio, not in the way we automatically think about trio. You know? with the influence of jazz. How we use the trio as a format, the three elements, piano, bass, and drums. But <clears throat> nothing to do uh, specifically with that concept of a jazz trio. It, apparently, it worked. The, 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 The evidence of the if the music will work or not was the tour we did in, in Poland. We did 25 concerts in Poland playing that music. And that was for me, I was waiting for that to see how the people react, how the people embrace the project. Because uh, it's what the music tells and the lyrics, but also it's the way that they are they know already that music with typical sound of the music, of this music. Um, and we are offering something which is, it was totally uh, in contrast with what they already know. knew. And um, it was great. It was great. It, it worked. Uh, but it was, I, I didn't enjoy the result, but it was one of the process that I really suffered a lot. Um, and when I say suffer is in the, in the very 
literal <laughs> um, way of the, the suffering mean yeah with an amazing a, a huge uh, insecurity of uh, I was not totally secure well completely, you know suffering feeling pain that's all that's exactly. all part of growing and mm -hmm. and uh, and learning um, there's no learning without suffering I think it's true it's true it's true at the end is as an amazing flavor it's great mm. um, but the process is is intense it's really intense yeah. yeah so days and days and days and days just with only one thing in the head which is that you are not able to do anything else like this just that that information around your head and um one bar is it, it, it felt like a like a, you had done a book of music you know, just one bar so wow mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's like that. Some projects go like, maybe like the Skyline uh, trio, mm -hmm. which seems to be like, a, you know, I think in the liner notes you talk about like four-hour rehearsal and then a session mm -hmm. or something. It's true. It's true. And something needs more, yeah, more molding, more more playing around with the material. Yeah. A skyline was something that I that I had to do it. Not because the record, which is I'm extremely happy with, with the work of the record, the people. It's not about the record. It, it was the experience, was the act to come back to Ron and Jack and call them to play it again with one mission, the mission to say, Thanks. Mm. Because uh, they were part of that group. Ron, Charlie, Jack, Paul Motion, Dizzy, among others, including Cheek and many others. At the beginning, when I arrived here, you know, Joe Lovano, Herbie, uh, and many, many, many others. I remember John Patitucci, too, in Japan. Um, and the I'm real school you call them, that, right? Mm -hmm. The real school, and they support me in that. Without reason, they, they they didn't have to do it. They support, and they they dedicate time to collaborate with me, and do this, and call me to do that, and and show me ways to, I don't know. So years after, I said, I would like to do that just to enjoy, go back and say, let's play it again. Hmm. And, and let's talk again and let's laugh again together, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry. And I said, but to do that is not to play my music. No, it's to to share music. Wrong music, child, um, Jack, do you know music? 
um, <clears throat> prominent, which is the piece, one of my piece. It's a piece that I include in one of my records. Already at that time, dedicated to Ron Carter, exactly. The main, the, dedicated to, to Ron Carter. I didn't dedicate that, that song in, uh, now. It was dedicated already in this record yeah. to Ron Carter. And we never had the chance to play that music together. So I found out that that was the perfect moment to do it. And I had a, a beautiful story with him. Uh, because of, we played two songs of each one. And when we play Maria, Siempre Maria, <clears throat> which is the name of my wife, which is an old tune that I also did a long time ago, it has more, a little bit, the syncopation on the bass of the Cuban music. And Ron said, oh man, when I had to go through that, thing of the Cuban music and the syncopation is always uh, complicated, you know. Um, it is for, for us that we have a different mm -hmm. uh, matters. But then when we play Promenade, he said, you know, when we play that tune, I had the feeling that I have been playing that tune forever, always. It's a tune that I know since i don't know yeah it's a well because it's, this is your tune yeah it's dedication it's that's your tune yeah. you know <clears throat> we have a wonderful time in the studio that uh and not only playing but what i said before talking laughing jack dna making a story he loves to do stories to tell stories and he loves films and he loves uh stories about boxing and this and that and, mm. and then run with his typical English uh, you know <clears throat> personality and a very refined sense of uh, humor um, so we, we share their love, respect uh, and many many other things uh, uh, and so it was it was a great moment, great moment. Yeah. Uh, Jim Anderson was the, the sound engineer, which is uh, Jim has been recording many of my albums since the nineties. So there was another person there that has been part of my career for a long time. Maria, my two kids were there. Gary. Gary, that was my partner until five years ago, four years ago, and in this dream to do a, a label, a record label. It, everything happened in real family mood. That's how it sounds. And this is what it sounds, you know. Yeah. It, no rush, mm -hmm. not pretension, no pretensions. It's just, let's play. Yeah. And Jay was recording what happened, what was happening there. So that was the the, the attitude of everybody there. Uh, we rehearsed the day before in the studio. We rehearsed for about three or four hours. Uh, I knew already 
after the rehearsal that uh, the way everything we had because the rehearsal was already that the rehearsal of uh, what happened the day not in terms of music but everything because the rehearsal was full of uh, funny moments and and you know a, a moment full of grace all the mm -hmm. time you know? and relaxed there was no and everybody's were happy to be there uh you can feel it so that was an, a beautiful experience beautiful experience mm -hmm. so i'm happy with the result but i'm happy to be able to do that come back and say hey and i would like to do that with everyone that support me in one and another way in my life you know uh this is what we know or, or at least we think we know to the best thing we do in life which is making music whatever so it's like a, i'm inviting you to bring you uh the most noble and at the same time the most precious thing that i have in my life mm -hmm. so and i want to share, share that with you not with the intention of uh, to make uh, i don't know to take a benefit of that in, in other aspects actually we didn't we didn't we didn't tour this this record we didn't do this record. We didn't. We did any live concert with this record. It was just going there and made the record and say. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't make it with Dizzy. Dizzy was the first one that came to Cuba and helped me to to be noted by promoters outside of Cuba. How often is Dizzy on your mind when you play? Well, look, it was recently I decided to include him. I, I actually play Con Alma, which is the, fir the first place mm -hmm. that I played with him in Cuba. And I never take that uh, piece out of my repertoire. I always look for the, a reason or I invent a reason to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, we did it now, no, now, but at the end of November, it was September last year, at uh, a club in New York that had his name, DZ Club. And we had, uh, we put together this uh, quartet with Eddie Harland, uh, Chris Porter. And Larry Grenadier. Larry Grenadier. Yeah. And um, we said, well, again, Let's play originals, just one from you, one from me, one from, well, let's play two classic. So we decided to do Kogam, but this, it was, it has a lot of meaning because we were playing, we were playing there in DC clubs. And also we played, I think, I think uh, Chick Korea tunes, uh, 500. Uh, yeah, I saw a video months. of that. Sounded incredible. And um, <clears throat> so the idea is to bring out a record 
an album with uh, some of the nights that were recorded. Uh, we record that there, and so we were supposed to bring a, an album out like that. Mm. Um, but this is because also this was a very sweet guy. Everybody that met him, I think, it cannot say nothing different. Uh, very charismatic, amazingly charismatic person. Uh, he had an amazing light on him. Um, and a guy that helped many people. Many, 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 many people. Trumpet players, many. Piano players going, going percussionists, any. From different parts of the world. American people from from Venezuela, from Panama, from Cuba, from Puerto Rico, from Republic Dominicana, Brazil, Argentina. Um, and I admired a lot from DC that he was always in disposition to, in the attitude, to help people new talent. And I said, the people that feel to confidence about themselves. They don't have problem to help anybody else. It's, you you never heard, you never saw any strange or obscure attitude on DC, especially because trumpet players came up, new trumpet players, mm. talented new people, new talents come and he enjoyed to see them playing, enjoy what they had new, the new thing they had to say. Look there. That was a big lesson to me. It was a, a huge lesson, you know. Um, and I was one of the blessed people that he went to Cuba and he decided to, to support people like Arturo Sandoval, to Paquito Rivera, to myself, to Danilo Pere, uh, Giovanni Hidalgo, uh, David Sanchez, uh, many of them, many of them, many of us, because I was part of that. So, it's impossible not to have him in mind and to thanks him all the time, all the mm. time, all the time. He saw me playing in Cuba, and when I finished, he came back to the backstage. He said, I'm dizzy with this people. He said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he said, hmm, I'm going to play tomorrow. It was in Havana. It happened in Havana, 1984. 84. He said, do you want to play with me tomorrow? And I said, well, I didn't know what to say. So he brought out of his trumpet 
music. He said, you think we can play that tomorrow? And there was a paper full of notes, <laughs> black. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I don't know. I would, I would do what I can. He said, well, he's laughing. He was laughing. He said, no, no, it's a joke. What we can do, what we can play together, because I definitely want you to come and play. And a, a week before, somebody else gave me a book, a real book, passed mm -hmm. me a real book for a few days. He said, look there for three or four days, and then I need to to return that to the owners. And nobody had, you know, books like that in Cuba. So when somebody had it, everybody passing to. And I saw that piece going up. And I like it. I said, oh, that's a beautiful piece. It's amazing. So a week later, this was in Cuba. And he said to me, well, we should play. And I said, con alma. Mm. And then he said, well, how do you know that? And I said, well, and I made a story. And he said, well, I have a, a wonderful memories playing that also with piano players and do it. I did it with Oscar Pires for a long time. And he mentioned different piano players were that he played Tongama just to do it. Uh, and then that happened. And uh, mm. that was the beginning of uh, everything. Wow. Do you still remember a specific advice that he gave you when you guys played together? He didn't. Oh, he, he didn't. didn't? Yeah. But you could oh, yeah. sense through reactions of his, oh, yeah. what he was thinking. Well, because I, I've looked at a video of you guys playing together. Maybe it was that first concert. You were playing a Yamaha CP70. Yep. You guys were playing Con Alma. Mm -hmm. And there's specific moments where he's like, especially lighting up. <laughs> yeah, well, I asked him, of course, I said, does anything that you want me to do or anything I should do? And he said, you play what you want. That's it. And he said, you play what you want, and I follow you. He said... Well, that's what you're doing, Gonzalo, still. You play what you want. <laughs> <laughs> and he's following you. <laughs> he said, uh, he said uh, stay a little longer on, uh, in the vamp. Mm -hmm. See. And then we can, you know, develop something there. And then we made the melody. And I said, take your time. He said something also like this, I'm not here. So you, like, I, I think he was trying to, to make me feel, you know, comfortable. That he, he, mm -hmm. he, he, he had to see that I was also, you know, I was nervous and I didn't know how to, <clears throat> to manage that moment. That was a big moment, you know, and I, I didn't know how to, so he tried to to make things easy. Uh, but I, he was like that always, because I remember he invited me to play after that. He came back to Cuba a year later, a year or two, or two years later, to the same festival. And he brought his band with no piano player. So he wanted me to join him with the band. And then he invited me to play with his uh, 
United Nations Orchestra in the Montreal Jazz Festival in Canada. That was 88. And I had a problem with visa. I don't know what. And I, I arrived late because they gave me the visa to the last minutes. And I couldn't play with the orchestra, but I, anyway, when he saw me on one of the side of the, the theater, he called me in and we played a game Kong out my piano and trumpet. Last time I saw him was in 1989 in Cuba. He came back. That was the last time he came to Cuba. Um, in, nine, in the 90, I went to Dominican Republic. He passed away in 93. It took me by surprise. I knew he was sick because I heard some news on those years that he was sick. Uh, but I didn't see him during those years from the 1989 to the 93. And I remember that I, I used to see news on TV every day at six o'clock at home. And then I saw the news that he passed away. And a Bruce Lombard from Capitol Record called me, uh, from Bruno, called me at the next day. He said, we want you to, we want to make everything possible to get a visa for you to come to uh, this is a memorial service. Because they tried to bring me to the United States before, and I never get the visa. DC also tried to bring me to, uh, to play with him on a tour here with his band. It was impossible because that. They never, they never give me the visa. And that was the first time they gave me the visa to see him, to, to be part of his memorial service. So, 93, January 93. That was the first time. But the visa said that I was only allowed to attend the, memor the memorial service, but not to play. Oh. It was like that. It was clear in the, wow. in, the, in, the, in the visa. It was difficult because that um, that was done in a St. John church in, in New York. It was full of musicians, full of musicians. Cecil Taylor, George Benson, Winter Marsalis, uh, Freddie Hobart, uh, all of them. And everybody said, let's come to play, come to, to play to the stage. <laughs> So I can, I can. I was afraid that you know, after many uh, times trying to get the visa, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't want to. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Fake mustache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A mask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some giant hat or something. <laughs> yeah. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Gonzalo, I have a bootleg of you playing with Tony Williams. It's true. With uh, Tony Williams at, at Yoshi's in a trio setting. With Brian Bromberg on bass. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the, the basis also on... Oh, no, that's... But he's, he's on another record of yours. Yeah, right? with, with, with uh, Danny Chamber. Right. So um, I'm curious what it was like for you to play with Tony. Because it sounds great, but I don't know which, uh, how many nights you guys played together. 
to me it sounds like a first night of you guys getting to know each other and it's it's, it's amazing to witness that well, i think it was like four days four nights four or five nights a week that was the original georgies um the first one very typical japanese construction and um i have to mention uh jason online jason online he was in charge of uh, the, the program of Georges uh, at that time. And he put together this band. And he also put together, before this band, I played there for the first time with Joe Lawano, do it. Mm -hmm. And it was Joe, Jason Olaine, the one that imagined all those kind of uh, collaboration. This so one as well, me, right? Exactly. Yeah, and also that that one now with Chris and and Larry and Eric and, G and Dizzy, that's mm -hmm. Jason Olin. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, "Well, let's do something with Tony William. Tony William is from from this area, from San Francisco Bay Area." The point was to convince Tony Williams to to play with with, with me. I don't think he knew about me, nothing. Not neither uh, Brian Bromberg. And uh, so finally he said, yes, let's do it. We spent two hours or three hours in the afternoon, the first day, doing the sound check. We decide what to play. There. Uh, he brought his own, his big drum set, jello drums, with many toms and Symbols, it's huge set and loud, really loud. Uh, but that was an amazing experience, you know. Um, especially, I, I had no complaint about him. You know? he, Tony has a special character and personality. And um, for some reason, he was really sweet. I enjoy a lot what what what, what happened in those days. You know, every every set, I think we enjoyed more and more and more and more, mm -hmm. of course, because of we, uh, you know, playing every night. But that helped a lot. Uh, he just, I remember that I, I decided to play Ron Carter tune. Uh, the name is. Uh, Little Waltz. And uh, we supposed, uh, we did an encore one of the, the first night. I think it was the first time on the second encore in the second set. And we went to the stage. We didn't know what to play. And I start playing by myself Little Waltz. Assuming that he knows that because he used, he, he played that with uh, VSP, VSP uh, yes. quintet, yeah. And he never played during the whole the whole song. He put the stick on top of a floor tom. He he crossed his arms, and he never played. So at the end, he called me, and he said, "I don't like that tune." 
but that, it took me by surprise because I, I had recording of him playing that. Yeah. Beautifully. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, how's that work? I mean, I thought that you said, um, and he told me more. He said, don't play that anymore. Wow. And then he said, okay. So in the next set, I played it again. <laughs> <laughs> I played it again, and he he didn't play, but he didn't say nothing. He didn't talk about that anymore. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> that's that was the only thing. But out of that, he was amazing, mm -hmm. amazing. And then we we met again in in Japan, a few years after. We didn't play. Uh, we saw each other in the Monthly Jazz Festival, and uh, he came over. And he was really, you know, very gentle. That concert happened six months before he passed away. Yeah, six yeah. months before, he was already complaining about some problem in his stomach, some pain that he had, and and then six months later. They decide to. Uh, he decide to. Uh, to. He accept to uh, the surgery, right? And they they did it. The problem is that when they close it, they left something in there, and um, it provoked some infection and complications, and he was in pain. They brought him back, but no, it was not enough time to save him his wow, such so, a shame wow. wow yeah too many things too many experience too many stories <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean gonzalo if you're in in the 90s where you got the opportunity to, to play with people like that i want to know who you were back then were you like the guy who would ask these people lots of questions because you finally get the chance to play with them. So you make use of that, of that opportunity or were you maybe more shy and introverted? What, what, were, you, what always, were you like? No, I was always very shy in this aspect. In this matters, I, I never was a person. I'm not a person, nobody mm -hmm. invite people or come and say, Hey, I need to know that. And this, this, and you know, I need more, I need time to develop that kind of uh, space and or connection with people. But I observe that. I try to observe them as much as I can. Um, I mean, it's important to be conscious of uh, Circumstance, the moments, the possibilities that you have in front of you, in your hands. It's not that I'm that I don't appreciate appreciate or I don't know exactly what is happening. I know what is happening. And I appreciate that a lot. But my way to to get out of there uh with something taking out of that something important, some 
something that I can say it really helped me to in this way it's just observing and listening you know and I believe a lot in to be able you know to listen yeah. and not only as I said before playing the music but out of the stage to everything that can anybody can say that really can make you think and you can you know but suddenly you say I never saw that issue in from that point of view mm-hmm. at the end you can be you can say okay I'm I'm in this side I understand that or I accept that or not but the the, the most important is that it moved your mental structure structure to you know it make you to think about it mm-hmm. and um And all of them uh, are always, there are people that are always thinking and, and talking or expressing in one or another way themselves. They're expressing uh, some of them, like Tony. Tony wasn't a guy that easily, for the first time you see him or you met him and he talked to you about these things. He was a that he needs some space in this and that's okay for me because in some way I, I think I'm, I'm I'm in the same way I'm not that kind of a, a image of a serious serious guy but I, but not uh, I don't know how to explain that but I think I get it yeah but at the end four days together playing together talking in the backstage in the dressing room, probably eating together. Something come up, little by little. And it's the combination of what you give and what you also receive. They also are observing you. Mm-hmm. Everybody's observing each other. Everybody's trying to catch, to catch, to have some something for you to know about you and um and I was I also understood that I, I didn't have too much to say among those guys so my position was to listen and to watch and to observe that's it mm-hmm. you know I mean talking about the names we already talked Do you think that I had to say something? I had nothing to say. I enjoyed to be there. I was blessed to be there. And I tried to learn as much as I could and to enjoy as much as I could. Listen, watching, observing, and alert. All the time, very alert. That's it. This is, uh, as I understand it, what I should do at that moment. Mm. Charlie, for example, I had too many years hanging around with Charlie. 
So it was different. You know, Charlie used to come here at home. Uh, I don't know how many places we went together to play, to hang around restaurants. Uh, we know the family of each other. Uh, I mean, but that was not the first day, something that was developed by the time we had together. Um, but I has been able to, since I was really young, to, to be around people that have a lot to, to say, a lot to give. And um, as I said before, Ron, Jack, all of them, I would love to do exactly what I did with Skyline. I mean, 30 years after, 40 years after, I said, let's go again. Mm -hmm. And then um, just to, you know, like an invitation. The only thing I wanted to tell them how much I appreciate. Uh, know him, to meet him, to yeah. all the experience that I had to, with them. That's it. Um, but the name is, the list of names are many, many. Piano players who are, with Chick, I did many concerts, a, a duet concert. Yeah, you also played duet with Herbie, right? With Herbie, we did. A couple of times. Within like four or five concerts. I, I was trying to find like something from that because I would love to hear how you guys sound together, you know, what, what, what did you, what did you guys play? We play basically with Herbie, we play his music. With Chick was different because uh, we played maybe Spain at the end. Uh, we develop concerts with no music that we improvise in the moment. And this is what he loved to do when mm -hmm. we get together. He said, like, we maybe play one of his tunes or two of his tunes, and, and maybe we do some standard. But then out of that was total improvisation. And, um, also with Joe Lovano, we did a lot of many concerts, live concerts. Um, wrong, I mentioned, I may mention Ron already, but um, Hope Motion, mm -hmm. not, not only the record, but we, we, we played also some concerts in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not at the Montreal Festival, but in, we played in Toronto, we clapped there in Toronto once. Um, Id Idris Mohammed, the drummer. Oh, wow. When did you play with him? With him and Ron Carter. We played it at Blue Nose, uh, Blue Nose uh, New mm -hmm. York, Blue Nose, for a week. Louis Nash. Mm -hmm. um, Gene Jackson. Mm -hmm. He lives in Japan now. Um, yeah, many, many. Dave Holland. Uh, also, I remember that one of the records I did with Charlie Hedden, 
Antonio Sanchi was the drummer. He didn't record. Yeah. He, he didn't work. He, he was not part of the record, but he went on tour with this band. Antonio, um, I'm sure that I'm, now I'm not remembering every, everybody, but mm-hmm. many, 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 many people. <clears throat> wow. That's, that's the best way to, to learn. That's the best way to learn. And mainly, every time, not every time, but 80% of the times that I've, I've been part of those projects, the collaboration, um, is playing their music. So it's not that I'm bringing my music and, and I'm a little bit comfortable with, with the music that I'm bringing. I'm normal and playing the music of uh, of uh, other people, the, the projects of other people. And um, you know, you you are not told all the time in your water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It does something to you. Also, when you then come back playing your own music, you see it from a different perspective. Exactly. Makoto mm-hmm. exactly. Sony, um, we had done many things together in Japan. Actually, when we play, when I played Bato for the first time, he was a, the, the other pianist with his two pianos. Mm-hmm. We did twice. Japan and then it was his idea. He said, uh, well, why we don't play the classical music? Uh, something like Bachtor or Stravinsky or whatever. Well, wow. The only problem to do that is how much time we had to put that music together that it required time to. So we talk about that like a year and a half in advance, something like that, or maybe two years in advance. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was practically like six months, almost every day, working with the back to concert for two p.m. Wow. And, I mean, um, I've uh, again a question about practicing. And we talked about being on tour and trying to find a space where you can, where they can provide a piano and you can rehearse a little bit or. or practice a little bit. What happens if you don't find a space? Uh, what's the what's your thought on practicing in your head without the instrument? Well, I don't know. Um, I've never had before a situation like that. One or another way, I always find a way to uh, to have a, a place, little instrument. Sometimes the instruments are in really bad shape. But at the end, I have been able to find it. Uh, but yeah, one of the exercises to memorize the music is that I'm trying to to play that in my head. Yeah. Uh, and more than that, I, I try to memorize not only 
course, what I'm doing, but what is everybody's doing? Uh, because sometimes, in this case, back to this piece of Bella Bacto, there's some moments on the piece that when you play your part, you, you, the piano, your part, it sounds that it goes in, in one clear direction, harmonically, for example. When you play the piece with the whole ensemble, it has nothing to do with the whole result. It has to do with the, just your part. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first impression when you play that for the first time with the whole band is uh, you get confused when you like it. I'm playing the right thing. I'm playing the mm -hmm. right notes. You know, it, it's all the polychromatic use of uh, all the elements, harmonically speaking, that he used in between the pianos, but also with the orchestra and also with the percussion, because that piece was done first for two piano and percussion. That was the original thing. And then later, uh, uh, they asked him to do a version amplified with symphony orchestra. And um, everything worked perfectly together. But you hear, you during the rehearsals, you hear the percussion by themselves, or you hear the two pianos by themselves, or you hear the, the orchestra. It's like three different things, totally, mm -hmm. completely different. Um, at this point where you're thinking, well, they don't need the pianos here. It, it sounds great just with the orchestra and the piano. Or the percussion by itself and things like that. It's a, it's a level of an independence in between the sides, the parts, that you hear that not many times in, 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 in music composition. It's amazing that this, in this aspect, but that require of a good conductor that really mm -hmm. put everybody. Otherwise, it's impossible. It's impossible because uh, the sonority, the sound of what is happening there with the orchestra at some point of the music pulls you to another side, rhythmically also. Um, <clears throat> So the exercise to think about the music is not just to know your part, but to know exactly what is happening with the rest of the people around. Yeah. And and I tried. I remember that I was in Japan. I was really afraid when I was close to the moment to play that music when I was ready. Two days before I flew there, and I was really anxious. Because it's a difficult piece. And I remember I was in the bed, resting or sleeping. And before that, I was trying to sound in my mind every note, every moment, everything that I'm supposed to do. Uh, because even when we play with the with the music, understand, I didn't want to be, uh, you know totally dependent of uh, to be passing the, the, the page. So I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to know what is what's happening always. 
Wow. Um, can we talk about influences by fellow pianists of your generation? My generation. I note that um, in the 90s, in the 80s, but in the 90s too, there was not many piano players that came up like now. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the 90s, beginning of the 21st century, um, I'm talking mostly from Cuba, uh, also from different part of the world. But from Cuba, there was not many piano players coming up. But at that time, at the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, 21st century, and then was a movement of uh, a lot of piano players that I never before. Mm -hmm. Many, many of them. Um, and many of them already now making beautiful career. Uh, many of them making their usual space in Europe, in France, in Spain, uh, in Italy. And I think also in America. Now you start, I can see now new voices, uh, In Europe too, you are part. You are one of them. But I don't remember in eighties, like now, many different voices that more than the people that already were established. Mm -hmm. Chi Kirby, Keith, um, uh, uh, McCoy, uh, I don't know, and many others. Yeah. Uh, of course, also, uh, it's a generation that is already in the 80s. Um, but still, still, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, difficult to, to make a picture of, of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I had that feeling. I had the feeling that the last 15, 20 years, we can talk more about the new voices in the piano, mm -hmm. um, on jazz, but also in classical music. Who are the people that you are listening to these days? Like well, recent discoveries for you? I love a lot. Um, Uh, what is the name of uh, of the partner of Cecil uh, Sullivan Fortner? Sullivan Fortner. Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> I've been listening what he does, especially what he does behind her. Yeah. Because uh, we used to talk a lot about the the role of uh, Van Leeuwen when the people lead the, the work. You know, the, job but to me it's really important when the, the job that you can develop behind which is not behind we said behind but not 
in this case, it's not it's not behind. It's not a typical company that you do behind the, the voice. And and I appreciate that because this is exactly my conception of how it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guitar player can't play any harmonic instrument behind the voice. Um, like interactive uh, and dancing exactly. around you, giving an, information, giving an, inspiration. An orchestra. Yeah. An, you know, a piano is an instrument to myself. It has to be conceived in the way that as an ensemble. Mm -hmm. Because it gives you that possibility. It's easy. It's not that we are inventing nothing. We are pushing in the direction, in the sophisticated direction. No, the instrument itself brings you all these possibilities. So we need to take advantage of that. We need to explore how many, many different things to that possibilities. And um, when I see that uh, a player is conscious about that, it's easy to, so the evidence is there. Colors, mm. the colors, the dynamic, the different layers, the, the voicings, the registers of the instrument, um, how the instrument become Parallel in import in, in the import the, the leadership of the instrument is at the same level of the voice without right. taking it's not creating any problem any obstacle the people still can enjoy the voice uh, but they have their compliments and sometimes it's not even a compliment. It's, a, it's an amplification of what is happening with the voice. And sometimes you can be just behind. Mm -hmm. but, but that situation that you go there, and you go down, and you go at the same level, and you get distance, and you get close, and, you know, <clears throat> uh, like uh, when you work with the, symphony orchestra or a big band or something like that and looking for that kind of picture that you have all the drama all the chords that's the way that that's the way it should be um the risk of reinvent harmonies they reinvent um rhythmically what is happening behind that the melody uh even the temples things that we know already always from past tempos not necessarily we have to continue doing in this way or vice versa but changing the tempos in the same tune depending on what the lyrics is saying mm -hmm. um <clears throat> because that's the the point i mean you know the synchronization of the piano the voice not because the how creative you are moving the harmonies and moving those aspects but also because you know what the song say yeah so you are able to endorse the story you know 
and to to build something which is accordance in symphony with the with the story of this of the song. Um, sometimes you, you hear people playing beautiful stuff, but that exactly uh, is beautiful independently of the song. But maybe yeah. not exactly what the, the song deserves. Uh, um, because maybe we have, we need to, well, that happened where you need to, to show the people that you can do that, those beautiful things. But, um, <clears throat> but I like what they're doing, what he's doing, because it's, it's everything in the right, in the right place. Yeah. In this matter of that. He knows what she's saying, and she knows, he knows exactly when she needs him to be here, to be there, to yeah. not be there. Uh, <clears throat> so the art of uh, a duet, which is now is very often, you see that very often, there's a lot of projects, duets right now. Uh, but there's so many, there's so, I, I mentioned him probably because I, was, I saw him few weeks ago live mm. in a gala we did in San Francisco Jazz Festival with the retirement of, uh, of um, the person that practically create what is uh, the, the San Francisco Jazz Festival today, Randall mm. Klein, Randall Klein. So that was a gala of, uh, for him. And there was a lot of musicians, this including Herbie. Herbie came here also. And amazing, amazing. And so I saw him, I didn't see him, uh, them playing live before. It was really touch, very emotional, very beautiful. But I had the problem also that I'm extremely. I don't know how to call myself. I have a huge problem with the with the names, with the names of everything. Of everything. The title of, of the songs, yeah, the composers, the name yep. of everybody, including myself. Uh, <laughs> and then it's a very embarrassed because uh, sometimes I want to tell something about somebody else, and I take time to think about. The name mm -hmm. of the person, the name of the person, the name of the person. Right now, I was trying to remember the name of Randall Klein, the person of uh, San Francisco. Well, you did fine. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that, I, that I, I couldn't get it. Get it. Uh, but I'm, yeah, very bad with this, really bad with this. Well, I think these days, so much information is, uh, we have to deal with so much information. The this human being has to deal with so many different kinds of information mm -hmm. and we especially as musicians or artists we try to remember so many things like mm -hmm. programs projects um, names of albums recording engineers tunes harmonies whatever there's so much and there must be like some casualties <laughs> you know mm -hmm. 
<laughs> where you lose mm -hmm. track of certain names. You you maybe help me to. What is the name of Herman? Herman? Herman. What's the what what kind of person are we looking for? Musician? Yeah, it's a piano player too. Um, Jaron Herman? Jaron Herman. Okay, yeah. Jaron Herman. Mm -hmm. That I know how Jaron Herman from years back, many years back. I remember that um, when I was signed by Bruno, about the same year, there was a moment where Bruno signed many young people coming, I mean, different instruments, from uh, different instruments. Jackie Terrace was signed at that time. Uh, Joe Lovano was signed at the time. Diane Reeve, Cassandra Wilson. Christian uh, McBride that appeared in one of the records of, uh, I'm talking about in the beginning of the 90s. Of um, Geoffrey Kieser, I think it was Geoffrey Kieser too, and, and another one that was signed by some Leonardo that time too. That was a year of many, 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 many new names that came up uh, through Blue Note Record that is still active and doing an amazing music, great career around. Um, and also, I saw a video of you playing a trio. Well, playing your music. I didn't have too much. I don't recall. I don't remember to have memories to to see you playing your, your own music. It wasn't maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago. And um, I was really, 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 really excited about what I heard and um, how much the composition and the, and the composition part uh, as a trio, which is one of the things. Normally, you see trios. There's too many, too many ways to afford the trios to work in the trios. And um, I'm not saying that it does a better than this one. But when you see a work, a job of uh, a deep work on the composition with the trios, where each instrument uh, are developing a very specific role uh, that coming from your own vision, uh, of course, everyone has a space for improvisation to be themselves, uh, but always starting from a point which is conceived before. It's a concept before that. Mm -hmm. And um, very impressive, very, very, very impressive, very beautiful. So we never had the chance to talk to each other and to tell each other what we think about it. Which is very bad too. <laughs> uh, yeah, very bad. And um, I wish you do that most often, you know. 
I think it's one of the, the the most beautiful and healthy thing that happened in the 20th century when the in the 30s and the 40s is interaction between the eyes and how much time they developed to sit down and yeah. to talk and to talk about what they were doing and what the vision of each one about what the other one. And I heard this piece and I heard that record from you and I believe this is great. Or oh, I didn't like this because that, that, that is, you know, the serious arguments behind that. And this is part of the healthy, of how healthy was this music at that time. And we can feel it, we can hear how they interact, how they work as, as, as a movement together as a group, not a, in the, in the individual's experience. Um, even the classical music, you see a lot of pictures of how Debussy with Stravinsky, um, Shostakovich with the, with Prokofi with Stravinsky, but I mean, yeah, or writing letters to each other, exactly, exchanging exactly. ideas, yeah. criticizing mm -hmm. each other, exactly. uh, complimenting okay. each other. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, oh, I, I love, and I think it's genuine when somebody criticizes you in front of you. It's an act of uh, courage. But uh, I see it's clean. I mean, I cannot assume that everybody like what I do, or, yeah. or they think it's, it's, it's done in the right way. Uh, and it's, it's, it's all right when the people come and say, in your face, in front of you, they share with you all the sides of their impression about what you do. Uh, I don't think nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. If it uh, comes from the right place, you know, some people mm -hmm. put themselves down or others down because it, because it comes from a, you know, weird place or something. Mm -hmm. But if it's genuine and also trying to help and, and engaging in a conversation, then it's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. Gonzalo, I'm... I'm uh, yeah. I'm. <laughs> it's hard for me to think about you checking out a video of mine. It's really hard uh, that I, yeah. I'm I'm I flattered. <laughs> Thank you so much for. No, I try to see words, as know. much as I can. I try to see and to listen as much as I can. Mm. Um, Sometimes we get drunk of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, and. Just talking about yourself, just talking about listening to yourself. And you want the people also talk about you all the time, which is, I, I appreciate that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody appreciate that a lot, that the people recognize what you do. That is maybe not healthy, uh, be, stay there in that compact, a little tiny brain that you almost cannot move because you're too attending just what happened with yourself. You know? mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> and I understand that uh, 
it's an exercise that we have to do it and we have to provoke us that on, on us so it's a, it's, sometimes it's not easy uh, but we have to push ourselves to to do that say no I need to I should do that I have to do that mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very thankful that I got the opportunity to to talk to you in this way and to to learn from you. I appreciate a lot that 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 opportunity. So thank you so much. So wishing you all the best. Mm -hmm.